Fuck. Good morning. this morning. We'll be in uh, John the 18th chapter and may get into the 19th chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn them to John 18. Before we begin this morning, I'm going to have a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be able to come here this morning and, and meet with other Christians, other brothers and sisters who have the same goals, the same desires, and that's to be with you for eternity. And Father, we're thankful that we have this word, that you've given your revelation to us, and we can look through this and know more about you, know more about how we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be. And it gives us great hope to know the promises that you've made to us. And Father, we ask this morning that we look through this word with open hearts and open minds and help everything that we can find in there that applies to us today to to apply it and actually use it in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a couple of things before before we moved to this week that were brought up last week. Um... Wanted to follow up with those uh, quickly. Deb Smith had brought up the fact about every knee shall bow. And I had stumbled around looking and said Isaiah 45. I said Romans 14. And and, uh, Larry said Philippians 2. Isaiah 45, 23 says, By myself I've sworn, and from my mouth has gone forth in righteousness a word that shall not return to me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. And in Romans 14, it says, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. And then Larry, uh, the the best one really there is in Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 8, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. So I wanted to make sure that you know we had those jotted down for that. Also, Doug Warner brought up a pretty good point after class, and I wanted to to bring that uh, in. <laughs> it was a contrast. In, in John, the 18th chapter, if you contrast where Jesus said in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 8, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am, or I am he. And then when he said, I am, uh, they drew back and fell on the ground. And then later, uh, he said, who do you seek? He asked him again. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I told you, I am. Well, if you contrast that with Peter in the 18th 
chapter, but down in the 17th verse beginning, the maid who kept the door said to Peter, aren't you one of his disciples also? And what did Peter say? I am not. <laughs> what a difference uh, one word makes. Um, the 25th verse, now Peter was standing warming himself and and they said to him, wait a minute, are you not also one of his disciples? This is the second time. And he's denied it and said, I am not. So it's an interesting contrast. When faced with, when faced with some, uh, in one case, a mob coming to after you, and another one, some people questioning you, Jesus quickly and decisively says, I am, while... He says, I am. Peter says, I am not. So, And then finally, Robbie mentioned something, too. And, he, and, and I thought about it, and it really, um, it, it really does kind of hit home. You know, we, we really get on Peter for denying. How could Peter deny him after you know, all he's been through and all he's seen? I mean, how could he deny him like he did? Well, before we throw Peter off the island, um, how many of us have denied Jesus too? And really at that red-hot moment, as Robbie pointed out, Peter, and rightfully so, thought he would have been probably publicly and dramatically killed had he said yes, and that's probably true. And for us, it would be a stretch to say we would be killed. But just what if in the next couple of years, you know, somewhere this thing ends up and you are, you are, you're asked, you're publicly do you are you a follower are you a true follower of Jesus and if you said yes you'd be terminated from your employment you would be denied health insurance you couldn't get any bank loans you couldn't I mean a whole host of issues happened to you I don't think we would bat a thousand I think some of us would would bail out too, which is far less than what Peter was facing. So before we throw Peter, you know, like, ah, Peter, you bum, put ourselves in his situation. I don't know if you remember it or not. I don't know which school of shooting it was like the Sabres and Calamon and Colorado or mm -hmm. California. Anyway, this boy was in there. I'm down in Newton She was uh, a, a Christian of some kind. Mm -hmm. And that's, the, that, and that's really the crux of the point you brought up, Robbie, that has, you know, gnawed on me all week. We're so, particularly in this country, founded upon Judeo-Christian values, which we have on our coins still, and God we trust, and all this kind of stuff. We're, we don't know persecution and so all of us are we're pretty smug in this country about how well we would have and what's wrong with those and all that we would have done this we would have done that I think if we were in that situation we would find it to be different that's right 
And I think if we were in that situation, we, we may do the same thing or have, would have done the same thing. Um, okay, so let's uh, begin here. We're in John, the 18th chapter. We begin in verse 28. And then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the praetorium. What is the praetorium, by the way? It's what? Yes, it's the headquarters or the residence of the, the Roman official in the time or the governor or military commander, whoever it was in, in that place. So it was his official headquarters. It was early and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they might not be defiled but might eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over. So Pilate said to them, Well, then take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death, for this was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was to die. So what's, what, do they, what do they mean there in verse 32? This was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken to show what death he was supposed to die. Well, in a Romans crucify him, yes. And, but how? See, I mean, that's... Um, if you look at what Jesus has said about himself, in John the third chapter, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And later in John 12, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Caiaphas has some authority allowed by Roman law to punish some people that violate Jewish law, but it doesn't involve the death penalty, number one. And number two, they typically what they would do was stone you. So in Jesus, if, if his death would have been by stoning, it would have nullified what he had already said. He needed to be lifted up as that serpent had been lifted up back in the Old Testament so that everybody that sees him and follows him. So that's what's going on in verse 32. He has to be, he has to die a particular way. But what's interesting here is um, Jesus's enemies, they want to ensure that he's executed period. And that means that they're going to use whatever means that they need. They're, so they're going to take him to the Roman governor, since Caiaphas can't kill Jesus. So they're going to take him to the Roman governor, Pilate, and they're going to paint Jesus as some kind of seditionist, you know, an insurrectionist, which is a popular term for now. And they're going to paint him that way. And they're going to lean heavily on, we'll find later, on mob tactics, on lies, threats of civil unrest, and they're really going to coerce Pilate into this situation because they've got to get Jesus 
killed. Now, while doing that, while doing all of this, and, and, and we're gonna, and it'll unfold in hideous ways. Uh, these enemies of Jesus, these 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 scribes and Pharisees, and 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 the high priests, at the same time they're doing all of this stuff. What did it say? They had avoided Pilate, Pilate's going into his residence due to their um, belief that close contact with the Gentiles would make them ceremonially unclean. And since this is immediately before the Passover, they don't want to make this mistake. <laughs> how, how ridiculously hypocritical is that? That's, that's the people, that's the core that's, that's going to be putting Jesus to death. They will use lies. They're going, you will see they will use lies. They will use all kinds of ways to position this thing so that he is put to death. These are evil, plotting, calculating people. Yet, at the same time, they, they, they can't, they're not going to step one foot inside the praetorium because they, that would make them unclean and they couldn't partake of the Passover. You're, mur- <laughs> you're, you're murdering, you know, in, with all evil constructs, you're murdering someone, in this case, the Son of God. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you could potentially be in the house of a Gentile and become ceremonially unclean. That's how twisted these people are. It's one of the most disgusting displays of hypocrisy you can run across. Verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? Well, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me, so what have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews. But my kingship is not from this world. So Pilate said to him, aha, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, well, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And then listen to what Pilate says. And then Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? He didn't say, what is the truth? This is, this is, he's so cynical. It's a tragic statement. You know, if he would have just said, even what is the truth, it would say that he, there is some truth that he would believe in. Just tell me what it is. But this question, what is truth, is basically truth. Are you kidding? Do you really believe that there's absolute truth? What is truth? Truth is what you need it to be, when you need it to be. It's one of the, it's, it's so cynical, and that's where he is. And, it, has anything changed since then about truth and about even 
the world's view of truth. No. All these terms we've heard in the last several years that have come up that are actually now it's out in the open. <laughs> you know, fake news and, and then we have to have fact checks, which are fake. And, you know, no, it, it, nothing, what's true? What's true? And now we got AI. Elvis is supposedly going to have a concert sometime in this year. Elvis. Because they can do it with this artificial whatever. It's, what's, even, what's getting to be true anymore? And you can take a picture with this new phone, apparently, and then if you don't like the picture, you, you, know, you go click, and it puts a, better, puts a better looking shot of the person's face in there. But that's not the picture. It's just nothing's true. And I'm not, I, I, I just, I, I want to sit there for a minute and just get on a soapbox, very small, very small smoke soapbox, but we are, we're just constantly being bombarded with the idea that truth is relative. There's situation ethics. Truth is what it needs to be when it needs to be. And that there is no such thing as absolute truth. This age of enlightenment has become the information age, and now it's this age of total confusion. Everything is just off the rails. There's a push for no moral or no ethical or no spiritual absolutes about anything. And yet we got more and more laws trying to define what it is. Why are psychiatric issues, violence, drug abuse, abortions, marriages blowing up, suicides, everything at rising rapid levels. Why? Why? The elephant in the room is truth. The elephant in any room is truth. It's always truth. It's always been truth. And truth is not determined by the United States Supreme Court, by the Congress, by popular vote of the country, by whatever political party decides is true at the time. Truth is just that. It's true because it's true regardless of what you think or I think or anybody thinks. And I will get to you in a minute. One day very soon, very soon, we're going to give an answer to the one being that many have emotionally been unwilling to even acknowledge, and that man is Jesus Christ. And they're going to have to answer to him in truth. There's a day coming. God is true. Most every man is a liar. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who died on the cross of Calvary. And he died for you and for me. And when you see that and know that in your heart and mind, you will begin to know truth. Now, that's my little pontification there. But I am just, I'm up to here with what's true and what isn't true. And it's just, it's permeating everywhere. Business, social, you know, we think it's out there in that so-called, so-called social media or whatever that is. No, it's, it's, it's in business, it's in politics, it's in your school, it's in your grade school. It's everywhere. So um, if, there's, if, if nothing else happens today, stand up for truth. I mean, really, stand up for truth. Larry. Individually, truth is what you want it to be. Yes, yes. That's where we are. I don't know how we got there. 
And it's more and more difficult to have discussions with certain people about truth because, as Larry said, truth is whatever you, manuf- whatever you need it to be, that's your truth. Do you know how we got there? Hmm? Do you know how we got there? How we get there. Look back in Judges. When the people turned away from God, they did what they saw fit in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, we have perfected that. That's pretty much what we do now. Uh, and it hasn't stopped then. I mean, we can spend our time talking about the world, but probably need to spend more time talking about what we do as a body of believers in truth. Mm-hmm. Because we are now dissecting it to the point where you, it's hard to find numerous congregations of God's church that even Absolutely. It, you, it's, that's one of the issues that we encountered when we came here because we had moved or had, you know, had to live in certain places at an apartment in Seattle, worked up there for a long time. We lived in San Francisco. We've lived in places where God was not terribly popular, but God's people were pretty, pretty strong, <laughs> the, the people we work with, because... You had to be. Then we thought, this is going to be a really great thing. We're going to kind of live and settle down here right in the heart of the Bible Belt. There's more craziness in the Bible Belt than there is about anywhere. This, there's, And so we come here, and where we used to have to drive an hour or 40 minutes to get to a church, now you will pass 40 churches in an hour. And they're all churches of Christ, and most of them won't talk to the other ones because nobody, you know, it's, it's, eh. So we're not helping ourselves. You're absolutely correct. It, it, it's just that it was. This is nothing new, and and everybody is right in what they're saying. They're absolutely right. And and when Jesus is here, and Pilate way back then, when he says um, his question, what, what? It, it, Jesus, anybody sees me sees the truth, and he goes, <laughs> in essence, what is truth? That's where we are today. What is what is truth? What's that have to do with it? about our children, we've got to teach our children. 
do have to teach they go that, hand in hand. that Jesus, right? You do have to, but and and we and we won't go all the way down there. Uh, sure, I opened it up. It's you know my yeah, I know, but to your to address what she said, and, and it's absolutely true. The, one of the reasons we we can't settle on the truth is that we don't love each other enough. We don't. Our program, the best we can do is we try to out-nice each other. Because if Joe one day says something that I think is probably wrong, I certainly don't want to cause any trouble. And I don't even want to talk to him because, you know, and, uh, Joe and I are you know pretty good friends, and I don't want to, I don't want to do that. There's very few of us that love enough to be able to go to that person and say, hey, I think you were wrong. And be able to walk away from that without throwing axes at each other and never speaking again. It takes a lot of love to be able to sort some of those things out. Hmm? The, what is the scripture uh, for la- my people die for lack of knowledge? Yeah. And that's, that is also a truth. And, and I, I have times when I attempt to talk to some people, I get flustered for the same reason you just mentioned. Because you want to talk about this point, and you find out that we don't even have a basis hardly to to get started with. So it's it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Uh, get back in verse uh, chapter eighteen, verse thirty-eight. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews, and this is Pilate. He went out to the Jews and told them, "I find no crime in him." But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Will you have me release for you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And I would highlight, too, or have you bring in the Matthew account here, Matthew 27, verse 20. Now, the chief priest and the elders persuaded, what did they do? They persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And to destroy Jesus. The chief priest and the elders had persuaded the crowd. So, excuse me, so when Pilate comes out and says, You have this, I don't find anything wrong with this man. And you have a tradition, you know, I can let him. No, this thing is already, they've already planted everybody there. You know, and it brings up this weird point. Did the Romans really put Jesus to death? 
And, and I know underneath all that, I mean, who really killed Jesus? Well, because of our sins, we're all guilty. I, you know, that, that I understand. But um, did the Romans really put, him, really put him to death? No. I mean, it was the Jews, his own people. The, the, the countless prophecies are made concerning the Jews that would deny and disown him. And in, in Acts 2, we're, we're told, in Acts 2, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So it was the church leadership, those elders, those, and not elders like we have today, but the, those chief priests, those Pharisees, the scribes, those are the ones that constructed all of this. And it's a shame that we got there. It, it's, and and it's mind-blowing because we go from Noah and Abraham and, and Joseph and, and Moses and Joshua and Elisha and Elijah and Isaiah and Gideon and King David and all these, <laughs> you know, powerful leaders. And then this 400 years of silence after, after Malachi's written, this is where we are. This is where that, this is where God's people are. These people, these chief priests and Pharisees and scribes that are that evil and have built this thing to where they're going to kill him. All this has been prophesied about him, and here he comes. They're going to kill him. They've deteriorated to that point. It wasn't some outside group that swooped in, and this is his own people that disowned him. And particularly when you end at the end of the Old Testament in Hosea. 6 or Micah 6 or Amos 5 or all those things when he's saying even at that point I, I, I don't you know your prayers and your sacrifices and all this kind of stuff fine but what I really want you to do is in here it's in the heart I want you to love I want justice I want all of this stuff well 400 years later this is what we have this is the group we have that go and, and, and plant and already tell, set Jesus up and tell the people that when he comes out and gives you a choice, no, 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 yell for, what's his name, Barabbas. Yeah, yell for Barabbas. You better yell for Barabbas. This is, this is who these people are. So who are these people? You might want to follow along in Matthew 23. This is a long reading, but this, these are these people. This is who they are. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on the Moses seat, and they so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by men, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and salutations in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and you are all brethren. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And neither be called masters, for you have one master in Christ, 
He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte, and then when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? And then you say, well, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by this oath. Again, you blind men. For which is the greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and yet swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they're full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisees, first you cleanse the inside of the cup of, and of the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear to be righteous to men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, saying, if, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who indeed did murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your prophets, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's a long reading. But that is Jesus Christ talking to these people, to the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priest types. The, that's about as harsh a language as you're going to hear. And what was what's what's at the tone of it all? I mean, what's at the what's at the heart of it all? You play the stupid religious game, and you build all these rules and things you're going to do, and 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 you bind it on other people, but not yourself. You're the ones that you know you're tithing everything, so you take the money <laughs> instead of using it for any profitable thing for God. On and on and on. And you, you miss the whole, you miss everything of the weightier matters, which are, which are justice, which are caring for people. But you, but you, it's just all for show. You like 
the, the praise in the in the in the marketplace. Hey, you know, and they've been falling down on the rabbis and all this. You, you're and having the best seats and having the, that's it's all about now, about you and about now. And anything that goes on in here, if it's about you and it's about now, it's you're missing the point. We're we're all missing the point. First night, uh, just go to chapter nineteen, verse one. And then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I again find no crime. I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. And when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no crime in him. Why do you think Pilate is going through this exercise over and over with Jesus and the Jews? Right. He can't find anything wrong with him. He can't find anything wrong with him. And, and he ultimately, if this thing turns into a riot, look at in Matthew's account, Matthew 27, 22, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, well, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when, Paul, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning to, play, to take place, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this, of this man's blood. See to it yourself. He can't find anything wrong with him, number one. Number two, if this thing does become a riot, he's in big trouble because he's going to have to answer to Caesar or Herod Antipas. He's going to have to answer to higher-ups. Because this, you can't have a riot here among these Jews that are just, you know, we're just letting them hang around here. He's got, he's got a lot of issues that, that could really come up and bite him. And he's also, I think, trying to convince them that their, their claim to him being a king is groundless. Because in, he's beaten them now, kind of mocked him. You know, he's got this plate of thorns and, and a purple robe, and, they go, and he goes, what? What does he say? In verse 5, behold the man. Here's your man. He doesn't call him a king. So he's trying to diffuse that. You know, you're talking about this king business. It's just a man. He's just a man. See? Well, in verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And by the law, he ought to die because he was made himself, he's made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard these words, he was even more afraid. He entered the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, You won't speak to me? Don't you know that I have power to release you or the power to, to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. And therefore, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. <laughs> well, 
Pilot's really efforting hard now. I mean, he really is to, to try to find some compromise to this situation. And, and, and the real reason for the animosity of the Jews about all this is finally out in the open. It's out in the open. He, what did they say? It's not because he's merely claiming to be some kind of king of the Jews. He's claiming to be the son of God. So if you thought Pilate was uneasy before, now he's, as it said, he's actually afraid. It's one thing to condemn some innocent man, a Jew. It's even worse if, if, if he might actually be their Messiah. But listen, even to Pilate, whether he believed it completely or not, Killing the Son of God was not on the table. It wasn't, it wasn't part, of the, part of the plan here. So the stakes have now gotten very high for Pilate. And I, I don't know that Pilate, again, I don't know that he believed that he was the Son of God, but he, he, I don't think he was sure that it wasn't. He doesn't know. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to give Pilate necessarily a pass. I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap. But he's clearly sinning because Jesus said earlier, therefore he who delivered to me, delivered me to you, has the greater sin, implying you're, you're sinning, you're sinning, but the one that actually delivered me to you has a greater sin, which... Brings up another issue that I won't bring up with two minutes to go. Um, so Jesus answered him in verse 11 uh, about this power thing. Um, who's really got the power? You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above, and therefore he who delivered to me has the greater sin. Who, who ultimately has authority? God. He's the one that has the authority to bring up nations, take nations down. Any, any power that anybody has is given from him. And, and this, this power from God I struggle with sometimes because we all know um, without names or anything like that, or certainly because of our ages and times that we've lived through, there have been people or regimes that, are, that have been in power that are just evil, awful. And you wonder, well, why would, God, why would God do that? But he's in control, and ultimately, as we find so many times in the Old Testament, and if we will sit back and look, so many times he, God will... We use these situations to bring about great good or bring about his will. The ancestors, 
Yes. That's right. And they couldn't, and the Jews themselves, even though they're the ones driving this home, they can't crucify him. They can't lift him up on a cross. They can't do that. So they're going to use the Romans to do their dirty work, thinking that it's going to keep them clean. Again, again, these are the guys we just, you know what that long reading was? That was awful. Those are also the guys, though, that said, I can't, oops, I can't put my foot in the praetorium because then I wouldn't be able to take the, do the Passover. These people are delusional, <coughs> awful. Well, uh, next week we will, we will finish up from there, and I uh, really appreciate your, your comments this morning, and they've given me things to think about this coming week. And so thank you.